MacCast, Sunday, November 12th, 2023. This episode of the MacCast is brought to you by ZocDoc. More on them later in the show. Hey, Mac Geeks, it's time for your MacCast, the show for Mac Geeks by Mac Geeks. I'm Adam, and this is a show where we discuss all things Macintosh. How you doing? Welcome back to the MacCast. Glad to have you back here with me for another week of Apple hints, tips, tricks, and all the goings-ons in the Apple and Mac community. How are you doing? I hope you are having a wonderful time and doing quite well. I'm doing okay myself. Looking over the show notes for this week, it looks like we have a number of things to get into, uh, including new Macs that we haven't talked about yet. So I'll uh, give my insights and information on some of the new machines Apple announced at their Scary Fast event on Halloween. Uh, and I also will be getting into the fourth quarter earnings call. Uh, Apple uh, announced their earnings and we'll talk about what went on there and what the future looks like for Apple moving into 2024. And then also I uh, got some updates on Apple bugs that are being fixed, uh, a little bit of Vision Pro news and some iPad updates to uh talk to you about and inform you on and that will round out the news for this week and then we're going to get into some of your feedback i have um, a great recommendation on external disk cataloging which is something that came up on the last episode of the maccast uh, some questions about hubs versus docs and also a time machine question and then we need to talk about a announcement here on the maccast probably a pretty big one um i'll save that for the end and we'll get into it we'll have a discussion about what's happening let's just say there's going to be some uh, some changes going on and uh, i'll fill you in on that here at the end of the show so should be a good one let's just dive right in and talk about some new Macs. Apple had its scary fast, scary fast event. And I'm saying that because it was probably the shortest keynote that I can ever remember Apple having. It lasted about 30 minutes. That was it. Uh, it was in the evening. Everything about it was sort of weird. You may have already heard some of my reactions and first impressions on the Mac Geek Gab podcast. Uh, Dave Hamilton had me over there with Jeff Gamet uh, on Monday night after the event. And we kind of went through all the news and announcements. So if you missed that, uh, go check that out. If you want to hear all of my uh, impressions and thoughts on how the event went and the announcements that were made there, that's over at macgeekgab.com. If you're not already subscribed, I would uh, encourage you to do so. So they did announce new Macs with M3 processors. Uh, we have the M3 processor, the M3 Pro and M3 Max. No M3 Ultra yet. As far as the chip breakdown goes, the M3 chip is an up to 8-core CPU with an up to 10-core GPU and supports up to 24 gigabytes of unified memory. And then you have the new M3 Pro chip, which has up to a 12-core CPU and up to an 18-core GPU, supports up to 36 gigabytes of unified memory. And then finally, the M3 Max chip, which has up to a 16-core CPU and up to a 40-core GPU and supports up to a whopping 128 gigabytes 
of unified memory. Now, there's some interesting things and little changes, specifically on the M3 Pro and M3 Max chips that seem a little bit odd and seem to be affecting performance maybe just a little bit. Uh, You know, it's really going to depend on what you're upgrading from, I think, this year with the M3 processor. So the M3 Pro actually has lower memory bandwidth than the previous M2 Pro chip. So it's 150 gigabytes per second versus 200 gigabytes per second on the... um, on the memory bandwidth and then when it comes to the cores depending upon which cpu you get um the 12 core cpu model has changed versus the 12 core m2 pro chip and the 12 core has six performance cores and six efficiency cores in the m3 where previously the m2 pro had 12 or had excuse me eight performance cores and versus and four efficiency cores. So they've lowered the number of performance cores and increased the number of efficiency cores in the M3 Pro 12 core CPU. And then at uh within both M3 Pro processors, they made some changes to the GPU cores as well versus the M2 Pros. So on the base M2 processor, M2 Pro processor, excuse me, you have a 14 core GPU with the 11 core CPU, and that's 14 cores versus 16 GPU cores previously on the M2 Pro entry level chip. And then on the higher end chip, you get 18 core, an 18 core GPU with the M3 versus 19 cores you had previously on the M2 Pro. So some significant differences in the number of cores on that chip. Now, moving up to the M3 Max chip, it's also had its memory bandwidth adjusted a little bit. It does have up to 400 gigabytes per gigabytes per second of memory bandwidth, but that's only on the pricier 16-core CPU chip. The 14-core version offers only 300 gigabytes per second of memory bandwidth. So Apple has changed the architecture a little bit. I don't know if that's specifically related to moving to the three nanometer process, um, but they're just important changes, I think, to note if you're in the market for a new M3 machine. I think real world-wise, it's not going to impact performance for a lot of people, but if you're looking for the highest level of performance, it does factor in, right? If you're looking for the biggest increase, especially if you're upgrading from an M2 system, um, and we'll talk about early benchmarks and stuff like that here in a second. Um, So just some things to consider. And what's interesting is all the M3 GPUs are based on the A17 Pro processor. So that actually is an advantage because they all get hardware accelerated ray tracing support. Um, So that's going to be kind of a big deal for games and things like that. We know Apple and Macs typically have not been a big gaming platform, but it's sounding like Apple is maybe trying to push things a little more in that direction. We'll have to see if they're going to be successful. Again, we talked about this on the Mac Geek Gab podcast, and my opinion is really until they start investing in game development and game developers, um, I don't think just having the hardware support is going to be enough to get people to start porting games over. But that's just sort of my opinion when it comes to that. 
Now, speaking of performance, we did start to see some early Geekbench scores. They seem to indicate that with the M3 versus the M2, so that's the base level of the processor, you're getting about a 20% multi-core performance increase. Um, then with the M3 Max, that's where you're going to see the biggest bump, about a 45% increase over the M2 Max in multi-core core scores and that's actually roughly matching the scores that you get with the m2 ultra currently so that's your big beefy processor if you're looking for the most performance and really i think because of how they tweaked the performance and efficiency cores and the gpu the least bang for the buck when you're comparing the previous processor the m2 to the m3 is in the m2 3 Pro line. So M2 Pro versus M3 Pro, we're seeing a roughly 6% performance increase in multi-core scores. Now, again, this is Geekbench and not real world, so just take that with a grain of salt, but it sort of does map out to what we just talked about in terms of the processors. Now, as far as machines that these are actually going, the new processors are going in, we did get a whole new lineup of MacBook Pros, both the 14-inch and the 16-inch models got upgrades. Uh, there's also a base model now, 14-inch M3, that replaces the 13-inch M2 MacBook Pro with touch bar. So no more Macs with the touch bar, and you now start at a 14-inch screen instead of a 13-inch screen, even on the budget model. And they did bring the price down a little bit, but we'll talk about some caveats with that here in a second. Um, the M3 models will... Uh, the M3 model, rather the base model, will still only support one external display with up to a 6K resolution at 60 hertz. It has that newer, lower price point, but it comes with just 8 gigabytes of RAM versus 16 and 256 gigabytes of storage versus 512. Real-world tests are showing that with the reduced memory, at 8 gigabytes, it is does seem to be hindering performance a little bit versus M3 processors with 16 gigabytes of RAM. Uh, and then Apple, as you know, charges quite a pretty penny for those upgrades of memory. So 16 gigabytes, if you want to bump up to that on that base model, it's going to run you $200 more. If you want to go all the way up to the 24 gigabytes of RAM, you're going to spend another $400. And what's interesting to note about that is even if you just want to bump to the 16 gigabytes at $200, then you're only $200 away. You, these are U.S. prices, of course. Um, you're only $200 away from the base model of the M3 Pro, which starts at U.S. $19.99. And with that, you're going to get 18 gigabytes of RAM, so a lot more memory. You're going to get five, double the storage. You get uh, a lot more ports. You get ports that are um, Thunderbolt 4 versus Thunderbolt 3. So you got a lot of extra upgrades by spending just a little bit more money. So it's interesting to see, uh, trying to figure out where Apple is actually targeting that base level M3 model. I think it's really for lighter users. Um, I wouldn't even almost call it a pro model really you need to bump up to the pro processor i think or the max if you're looking for the most bang for your buck and also for the best performance but you know if you want to save some money there is an option there now 
And uh, all of these new models do fe feature the Liquid Retina XDR display. So that's really nice. They've all been updated with Wi-Fi 6E and Bluetooth 5.3. So better networking. Um, another advantage of moving to the M3 Pro or M3 Max models, if you care about colors, is they are available in a new space black color that looks really, really nice. This nice dark black color. And Apple says that that will uh, that they've done some things to make it sort of repel or not be as fingerprinty. We'll have to see if that really works and turns out to be true in actual practice. So as far as the lineup goes, you do have that entry-level 14-inch M3 MacBook Pro that starts at $1599, which is a really good price. But again, it comes with those caveats that I just mentioned. Then you bump up to the 14-inch M3 Pro MacBook Pro that starts at $1999 US. And then the 16-inch MacBook Pro starts at $24.99 US. And you can configure these things like crazy all the way up and spend, you know, a lot more money. Those are just the entry-level price points. But it's a nice little bump to the lineup. You do get some performance increases. I think these machines are really going to benefit somebody like myself who's maybe still on an Intel Mac. Like I am still on an Intel Mac. So I haven't made the jump to M-Series Apple Silicon yet. So this would be a nice... Uh, place to start for me i also think if maybe you're on an m1 it's a nice jump up but if you have an m2 or you're looking to save a little bit of money you might consider trying to pick up an m2 model and uh, you could save some bucks and i don't think you know for a lot of folks the performance difference is going to be a huge huge change and then the other mac model that they announced was new updated 24 inch imacs and I say new, they have a new processor, uh, also the updated Wi-Fi 6E and Bluetooth 5.3, but that's about it. They all come in the same designs, same size, same colors, same displays, and unfortunately, even the same accessories. The Magic Keyboard, Magic Trackpad, and Magic Mouse are all still using lightning connectors. They didn't get the USB-C upgrade that we were expecting, um, so... That was somewhat interesting. Uh, the M3 iMac starts at US $12.99, and that, with that, you get two Thunderbolt ports. Uh, for $14.99, the next model up starting, you can get two Thunderbolt ports and two USB 3 ports. And again, these models just support a single external display, 6K resolution up to 60 hertz. Um, and then... After the event, because everybody's been wondering, is Apple going to do anything with the 27-inch iMac? Apple did confirm to The Verge and other media outlets that they have no plans to release a new 27-inch iMac with Apple Silicon. I don't think that's really surprising, uh, considering the fact that we've been having these rumors from Mark Gurman and Ming-Chi Kuo that Apple really plans to introduce a larger display iMac. So they just said no 27-inch model. They didn't talk about another model of iMac. And it's widely believed that Apple does plan to bring out likely a 32-inch iMac with a, mini, with a mini LED backlit display possibly sometime in late 2024, but more likely probably early 2025. So if you're in the market for a larger iMac, you're probably going to be waiting at least another year. And so just uh, put that on your schedule. And that was kind of all of the announcements. That was really it. It was fast, a couple of nice updates, nothing really huge, I don't think. And uh, the event was over.
So what do you think? Are you excited about these new machines? Are you excited about M3? Uh, where are you at with this? Shoot me some feedback. Send me an email, maccast at gmail.com. Apple also had its 2023 fourth quarter earnings results call recently, and the numbers look okay, although it has is the first quarter where Apple saw a year-over-year loss in a very, very long time. Apple announced $89.5 billion in revenue. That's versus $90.15 billion for the same quarter a year ago, but ultimately did still beat analysts' expectations. And there is a little silver lining that I will point out here in a second. But let me give you the breakdown first in terms of revenue. $43.8 billion from iPhone, $22.3 billion from services, $9.3 billion from wearables and home devices, $7.6 billion from Mac, and $6.4 billion from iPad. And despite those lower revenue numbers year over year, net quarterly profits were up at $23 billion versus $20.7 billion for the same period last year. So that's kind of the, the little bright spot. But overall, things a little bit down, especially things like iPad, which is probably not surprising because Apple didn't update the iPad this year, which is very, very unusual. And we'll talk about that a little bit later in the show. But overall, for the full fiscal year, Apple had $383.3 billion in sales and $97 billion in net income that is down slightly from last year where they did 394.3 billion in sales and 99.8 billion in net income so things leveling off a little bit and i think we talked about um how apple kind of got the and i think this was in the previous show you know apple got a nice little bump up during the pandemic as more people transitioned to work from home and businesses invested in equipment and stuff like that. And so really what we're seeing is a leveling out. So I don't personally think there's anything too concerning in these numbers. I think a lot of it was somewhat expected. There's kind of a reset going on and uh, we expect Apple to be doing pretty well moving forward. Uh, you know, they're not going to probably return very quickly to those high, high numbers. So I would expect to see things a little bit flat um, moving forward for at least a year or two, probably. Uh, but we'll have to see, you know, Vision Pro is coming. They've got some other exciting products in the lineup. We're expecting some other things to be happening in 2024. So you never know with Apple. They've got their ups, they've got their downs. And luckily the ups more than often seem to be a lot higher than the the downs. But we'll have to just keep an eye on things. Apple has also apparently been hunting bugs recently. Mark Gurman says that last month, Apple's teams finished up the first versions of iOS 18, Mac OS 15, and Watch OS 11. And normally what happens is they get that first release out and they immediately start working on new features and updates for the second you know, internal release of the operating systems. They would move right on to that. But Apple did something a little bit unusual last month, apparently. They had them pause on moving on to adding additional features and said, hey, let's focus more on doing bug fixes and performance versus new performance enhancements versus new features. So they really went in and started focusing on that rather than immediately jumping into, you know, again, big new 
flagship features. So it's a little bit apparently different methodology versus how they've done things in the past, according to the piece. And I think ultimately that's probably a really, really good thing because as some people might note, the last OS updates, at least for me, have been a little bit buggy uh, here and there. Not any major huge bugs, but they've been a little bit buggy, right? It's been a little bit rocky and uh, anything Apple could do to kind of smooth that out, I think is a good move and a good choice. And speaking of uh, some of those new features that are rumored to be coming in iOS 18, Mark Gurman says a big focus is going to be on Apple releasing features using generative AI, something we've heard they've been working on for quite a while, but we haven't really seen anything from Apple as much as we've seen from other sources and other places, right? Obviously, one highlight is a quote-unquote smarter version of Siri. Uh, I think we can all agree that if Siri can get smarter, that's a really, really good thing. German says in his piece, one thing that Apple is struggling with is how it's going to roll out generative AI specifically. Are they going to do it all with on, on device processing, trying to limit it to that, which would fall in line with their you know recent focus on security and privacy? Are they going to use the cloud instead to take advantage of you know processing power and servers and things like that? Or will they take some sort of hybrid approach? And I guess they're having that internal debate right now. We'll have to wait and see. Uh, and at least one Twitter leaker claims that Apple is planning a hybrid approach. And the idea here would is so that they can roll out the feature to more users of existing devices by taking advantage of the cloud and not having to rely on the hardware, which may, might not be capable for doing that level of on-device processing. And then using newer devices like the next iPhones, the iPhone 16s, to really focus on doing on-device processing on newer newer machines. And I think they're going to be making tweaks to the neural engine and doing a bunch of stuff to make that happen. So that makes sense that they might roll it out that way, because again, you're going to want to get those features and functionality out to as many people as you possibly can. And some of the current hardware might not out of the box or currently the way it sits, be able to really support that. So I could see them taking that that sort of approach. It'll be interesting to see how they spin the conversation around security and privacy related to that, though, if they do move into cloud processing for generative AI features. But those should be coming. Probably hear more about them as we move into 2024. So stay tuned. And then on the bug hunt front, last week we did get some updates that addressed some nagging software issues from the more recent releases. A big one for me and probably some of you as well was watchOS 10.1.1, which fixed the bug that was causing some Apple Watches to drain battery more quickly than expected. I received emails from many of you about that. So that's good news. If you've been experiencing that, you're going to want to grab that update. iOS and iPadOS 17.1.1 fixed some bugs that we've talked about previously here on the MacCast where NFC features would stop functioning after using wireless charging in some cars. I think we specifically talked about BMWs having that issue. And then there was also a bug with the weather widget on the lock screen where it wasn't displaying snow properly. So that has been addressed as well. And then macOS Sonoma 14.1.1 and HomePod 17.1.1 were also released. Uh, fixing some important bugs and offering security updates. Apple didn't give a lot of details 
on what specifically was in those two things. But there were certainly some uh, bugs squashed this past week. Some members of the media got another sneak peek at the Apple Vision Pro and specifically at spatial videos. You may remember when Apple made their announcement, uh, they had shown off the device or gave experiences to a number of uh, folks in the press, but it was really a controlled demo where they all kind of went through the same experience. And when they showed off spatial video, Apple had already shot those videos and they were just able to view them, but they couldn't really take spatial videos or view them themselves. Well, this past week, they invited select members of the media to be able to actually record, capture their own spatial video and watch that back on an Apple Vision Pro. And they were able to capture that with uh, the new iPhone 15 Pro models using iOS 17.2 beta, which added spatial video video capture capabilities for those phones. As far as technical specs go, spatial videos are recorded at 1080p, 30 frames per second on the iPhone Pro. Apple recommends that you shoot them in landscape orientation with stabilization enabled for the best results. And they take up a lot of space, folks. So be prepared. One minute of video takes 130 megabytes of storage. So you're going to use up your storage pretty, pretty quickly if you're shooting long spatial videos on your iPhone. But reporters for the Wall Street Journal, The Street, CNET, and some others all got a sneak peek at the technology. And everybody seemed incredibly impressed with it, just like we heard about when Apple did the the canned demos. Um, They said the format is great. It is truly impressive. The 3D is better than anything you've ever seen on a TV and a film. You know, across the board, they all seem to agree on that. Um, The one downside, obviously, and this was pointed out by uh, some of the articles, is that you're going to have limited capability to be able to view that back. So you can shoot those videos on your iPhone. You can watch them back as standard videos. Um, So that's great. But if you want to have that immersive spatial video 3D experience, you got to lay down, you know, at least initially $3,500 US to get a Vision Pro. Um, But it does look like the Vision Pro is still on track to be out sometime in early 2024. Another interesting development related to Vision Pro, tvOS 17.2, the betas, it was noted in some of the metadata that there are film for films that you can buy through uh, Apple, that uh, some of the films are now showing a little 3D icon that looks like the silhouette of a Vision Pro, seeming to indicate that Apple is planning to release some 3D content, some movies with 3D video content uh, for the Vision Pro. Now, I'm assuming it's not going to be spatial videos uh, because that requires a special camera and setup and stuff like that. But it does look like about 20 titles from studios like Universal and DreamWorks, things like Jurassic World Dominion, Shrek, Kung Kung Fu Panda 3, Pacific Rim Uprising, and more are going to be available in a 3D format. It's unclear if you'll have to make a second purchase or a special purchase to get that content, or if Apple's just going to roll it out, assuming you own those titles already. So we'll have to wait and see on on that. Uh, But it looks like they are working on some of the content, which kind of lines up with, hey, they're going to be releasing this thing sometime soon. So that's a good, uh, good little indicator, in my opinion. 
Um, another thing just related to tvOS 17.2 to be aware of, I think we talked about this a little bit, it, Apple is planning on phasing out the dedicated iTunes movie store and app, and they're going to be moving that functionality over into the TV app, consolidating things, which I think is great because right now, for me at least, I think it's very confusing to have to go one place to buy your movies and then a different place to watch your movies. So having all that all in a single place, and they just did a redesign of the Apple TV interface uh, with 17.1. So I'd be curious to know what you think about that. I am not sold on it. I, I see what they're trying to do in terms of reorganizing it, um, but it caught me off guard. I didn't really know they were actually doing this whole redesign. You now have this kind of slide-out menu that or drop-down menu that comes from the left-hand side. I think it's going to allow them to continue to grow the app and add new features and functionality. Um, the navigation, I think, is a little bit... Uh, tricky to get used to but i think once i get used to it i think i'm actually probably really gonna like it but it did the first time i went into it i was like what's going on i didn't didn't really know so be curious to get your opinion on that if you've experienced the new uh, the tvos update and then here's a little bit of at least for me and maybe for some of you a little bit of bad news but i understand where apple's going with this on the earnings call that apple had recently tim cook came out and said that they would be bringing the apple vision pro out in our stores only and said that it would be a very different process than the normal grab and go kind of process that they use for purchasing apple products so it's sounding like they really want to, at first, have a complete control over the buying experience of the Apple Vision Pro. And that means you're going to have to go into an Apple store if you want to get one. And it's a little bit disappointing for me because with my move here to South Dakota, we don't have an Apple store in the entire state. So I am going to be traveling at least four hours uh, if I want to get my new Vision Pro. Yeah, no, poor me. I'm not, I'm not complaining about that. I am just to be able to maybe get a Vision Pro, but it's going to be a little bit more hassle. So just be aware of that. It sounds like they're going to do in-store only, at least at first. I don't know if they will expand that out at some point and let you just buy one online. Um, but they want to have you in, give you a demo. Probably if you're like me and you need the prescription lenses, you're going to have to do some stuff with that. So they want to make sure that you get the proper fit and finish. So there's a bunch of adapters and things to make sure you have the right fit on your face and for your face shape and all that stuff. So they're really going to try and get, uh, it sounds like a handle on that, which I think is ultimately a good thing, but it does prove to be a hassle for those of us who don't live near an Apple store. And then last thing related to Vision Pro, Mac Rumors claims that the next generation of Vision Pro is codenamed Alaska. I think it's no surprise that Apple's working on that. They've probably been actively working on that for a while. Uh, as far as what's going to change or update, they note that the design is largely going to be similar to the original soon-to-be-released version, uh, that there could be a new speaker system, also that there will be notable changes to the strap designs, and that the sensors would include a compass, ambient light sensor, magnetometer, and gyroscope and then also other hardware components that they talked about were two micro OLED displays, a true depth camera for computer vision cameras, two RGB cameras, two infrared illuminators for low light, and semi-automatic interpupillary distance adjustment. So that's the spacing between 
your eyes. They say the new model could come with a lower price. I would expect it to because Apple's going to want to get these out to more and more people as they bring out new models. And they think it should enter production validation testing sometime in 2025, which means we could be looking at a late 2025 to early 2026 release date for an updated Vision Pro. So if you're thinking about getting the second generation Vision Pro, that would be your timeline. And then finally, in the news for this week, we got some more information about Apple's planned updates for the iPad, at least from a couple of sources. As I mentioned earlier, they skipped 2023. So the news is they're going to update the entire iPad lineup in 2024. I don't know if that's really news. You know, we expect them to update the iPads. And if they didn't do it in 2023, I would expect them to do it in 2024. But they say iPad Pro, iPad Air, iPad Mini, and the entry-level iPad will all get some upgrades. Ming-Chi Kuo thinks that the iPad Air will be getting a larger 12.9-inch version. Uh, The iPad Pros will get OLED displays, so we'll see the phasing out of LED displays on the Pro models, and that the iPad Mini and entry-level iPads will see updates as well, although he didn't go into specifics on those models. He believes that Apple will start in early 2024 with updates to the iPad Air. That will be followed by updates for the iPad Pro models, adding M3 processors probably sometime in the second quarter. And he also mentions possibly offering a new chassis alongside those OLED displays. And then later in the year, doesn't give specifics, but I would assume probably in the fall, we would get the updates to the entry-level iPad and the iPad Mini. And then the last uh, Apple product to talk about uh, this week in terms of rumors is Mac Rumors says that we're also they are also expecting that we will see an updated iPhone SE 4 model probably in March. So coming up here uh, relatively soon. They believe that the design is going to be very similar to the iPhone 14. And the big news there would be Apple dropping finally the home button from the SE model. So going with Face ID even on SE. They say it will still only offer a single lens camera, but likely that will be updated to the 48 megapixel camera that Apple uses. And they will also be dropping lightning in favor of USB-C. So all of you entry-level iPhone SE fans out there, it looks like you might get an updated model coming up here in March. But with that, that is going to do it for the news for this week. Before we move on, I do want to take a quick moment and thank a couple of show sponsors, starting with ZocDoc. You know, finding and choosing a doctor, I think, is always very, very challenging. And I think it can be even more so if you're in a new area or unfamiliar area unfamiliar area. As you know, I recently moved and ZocDoc is a great tool if you've moved to help you find a doctor who you can connect with and one that takes your insurance. In fact, all of the doctors on ZocDoc have verified reviews from real patients. And I find that very, very helpful because I don't want a bot telling me this is the doctor for me. I want to hear from real people who have actually visited them so I can find a doctor that has a personality that is going to connect with me. So that means you can more effectively narrow in on somebody who's going to be a good fit for you 
and a good fit for your family. ZocDoc is a free app where you can find amazing doctors and book appointments online. And we're talking about booking appointments with thousands of top-rated doctors, patient-reviewed doctors, and specialists. You can filter specifically for ones who take your insurance, who are located near you, and they treat almost any condition you could be searching for. And there is no waiting. If you hate waiting to have to get a doctor, you don't have to do that with ZocDoc. The average wait time to see a doctor booked on ZocDoc is between 24 and 48 hours. That's it. You can even sometimes get same-day appointments. And booking an appointment is super easy. Just a few taps right in the app. No waiting on the phone with bad hold music just to find out if you can't get an appointment for two weeks. You're not going to have that experience on ZocDoc. So go to ZocDoc.com slash MacCast and download the ZocDoc app for free and find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash MacCast. ZocDoc.com slash MacCast, and a big thank you to them for their support of the show. I'd also like to thank my show sponsor, Simply Safe. You know, there's never a wrong time to protect your home, but this fall happens to be an especially good time because you can get up to 50% off a brand new Simply Safe home security system. Simply Safe is great and in fact it was named the best home security security of 2023 by US News and World Report. For me, you know, this time of year, we're gearing up for the holidays, and that means a lot more packages coming to the house. And having a Simply Safe system gives me peace of mind because I can monitor the front porch and know right when I have a delivery so my precious gifts aren't left out waiting there in the open, enticing potential porch pirates. And Simply Safe is comprehensive protection for your whole home. They have advanced sensors that detect break-ins, fires, floods, even more, plus HD cameras for both inside and outside your home. It's powered by 24-7 professional monitoring that's less than $1 a day, half the cost of a traditional home security, and with the new 24-7 live guard protection and the smart alarm wireless indoor camera, monitoring agents can actually speak to intruders helping stop crime in real time. It's a powerful technology that's exclusively from Simply Safe. Plus, your satisfaction is guaranteed. Satisfaction is backed by Simply Safe's money back guarantee. You can try Simply Safe for 60 days risk free, and if you don't love it, return the system for a full refund. And as I mentioned earlier, for a limited time, listeners can get 50% off any Simply Safe system with a fast protect plan. Visit simplysafe.com slash MacCast. That's simplysafe.com slash MacCast. There's no safe like Simply Safe. And a big thank you to Simply Safe for their support of the show. You might remember on the last MacCast, we had a really interesting question from a listener about making a searchable index of external drives so that you kind of have this archive that you can search locally for maybe drives that uh, you're using for archive backup, right? You just want to connect, or maybe you have an old drive that you're replacing, but you want to keep the old drive around and you still want to know what's on there and be able to search it. And I had a really hard time finding the perfect solution. I used my Google Foo the best I knew how and really did not come up with a great solution. So I threw it out to those of you in the community. And of course, you came through uh, flying colors. 
a number of you recommended an application called NeoFinder. I will have a link to it in the show notes at maccast.com. But Christopher says he's been using it for years and has cataloged dozens of drives with it. And it works great. He also says that the NeoFinder catalog can even show you thumbnails of documents, images, videos, and more so that you can actually identify correctly the file that you're looking for before you have to go grab the drive and reattach it. So you know you're going to get the file that you actually want. And Miles also wrote in to say that he too has used it for years and that it simply works. It's fast and thorough and it is great. So if you've been looking for that kind of solution, check out NeoFinder. Uh, it's not too expensive. It's not cheap, but it's not too expensive. A single user license is $39.99. I think that's a great value if you have that particular need. So check it out, NeoFinder, and thank you everyone who wrote in to let us know about that. I also got a question this week from Fred. Fred is actually upgrading his 2013 MacBook Air with one of those shiny new 14-inch MacBook Pro M3 models. Congratulations, Fred. That is really cool. And he said he's looking to add some connectivity to that. Uh, things like the ability to connect a number of USB devices, add a monitor, possibly uh, uh, Ethernet adapter. And he says, I've been looking at docs and hubs, and I've now become totally confused because I don't need power upstream because the MacBook Air has its own MagSafe power port, right? And there seems to be this huge variation in pricing between the two things. So what actually do I need? And I can understand how... Uh, the sort of differences between a USB-C dock and a USB-C hub can be a little bit confusing. Um, but really focusing on the idea of a dock, the main advantage of a dock is basically it can provide a single cable connection if you want to your Mac that really provides all of the connectivity that you need. So it offers a huge, huge convenience over something just like a basic dock. The idea is you buy, or basic hub, excuse me. The idea with a dock is you buy the dock, you attach all of your accessories to that. So that would be your monitors, your USB devices. It often provides an Ethernet port. And then you just connect the dock to your Mac with a single Thunderbolt cable. So you'd connect that to your MacBook Air and it provides everything, including power. That's why you want the upstream power. You, you just want to make sure that you get um, enough upstream power that matches uh, the power level of your the whatever Mac you're buying. So I think I would assume with the 14-inch MacBook Pro, I haven't looked. That's probably 65 watts. Um, the higher-end models I think are 95 watts. But uh, double-check <laughs> the specs because I'm not looking at them right now. But the idea is you want enough power to do that, and then so you can just have a single cable. It is super super convenient. That's why docks are more expensive. Um, it avoids the need to use a bunch of dongles, uh, USB-C dongles, because if you don't go with a dock that, say, has Ethernet, you're going to have to get a separate dongle for your Ethernet, USB-C to Ethernet. And as you know, MacBook Pros don't have a ton of ports. They have, you know, four, but 
you you're likely going to run out of ports pretty quick uh, so a dock helps out in that capacity as well now if you don't really need that if all you want is a simple hub to connect a few extra usb devices uh, and you're okay with connecting you know the lightning cable for power the magsafe cable rather for power getting a networking adapter you probably can save some money over a dock but you're going to be plugging in a lot more cables and doing a lot more uh, with that from that perspective so you know it's really kind of a personal choice on what you want to do personally i have both i have a dock for at home here at when i'm sitting at my desk i just plug it in and i've got my dual monitors my microphone everything runs into that dock and it works great um, for when i'm out traveling on the road i just have a simple usb hub so that i can connect standard usba devices through usb-c and uh, that works great for me when i travel i don't i don't have an ethernet adapter um because i don't use ethernet too much on the road but you can get you know that sort of dongle as well and just carry those with you for more portability maybe when you're away from your desk so i hope that kind of helps explain uh, some of the differences uh between the two and why you might prefer one over the other if you have any additional questions of course send them along maccast at gmail.com and then I got an interesting uh, question this week from James who about, about Time Machine. And James has been using a single 8-terabyte drive for Time Machine backup with his MacBook Air and for some external drives. So he has the 2-terabyte SSD on his MacBook Air. He says with about 1.1 terabytes free. He also has an 8-terabyte external data drive that has about two 3.2 terabytes free and then a two terabyte external ssd drive that has about 500 gigabytes free and what happened recently was he started to get the out of storage space warning from time machine saying that it couldn't back up because his eight terabyte time machine drive was out of free space and so he went out and bought and added a new six terabyte time machine drive to his Mac, hoping that that would add an additional six terabytes of space for Time Machine to use. Um, but when he set it up and it started backing up to the six terabyte drive for Time Machine, he was still getting the out of space warning. And so he asked, I was under the impression that Time Machine allows for multiple drives for backups, but am I missing something here? Is there something I need to do? And no, I mean, there is sort of, James, let me let me explain. Because unfortunately, Time Machine cannot be set up to actually span multiple drives and sort of treat it like a single data destination. So you can't take your eight terabytes and then add a six terabyte drive to that and then just have 14 terabytes of continuous backup space for Time Machine. It just doesn't really work like that you can definitely have multiple time machine drives hooked up to your mac but they're all going to operate pretty much the same way they're going to try to back up everything that you have attached and your internal drive so what becomes important is if you need to divide up 
the what is stored on the different time machine drives, you're going to have to do that yourself by setting up exclusions, basically excluding drives and locations from one time machine backup and relegating those to the other time machine backup and doing vice versa. And luckily, that's pretty easy to do. You just go into your time machine settings and find the time machine drive that you that you want and then you can click on the options and then you'll see a little section that says exclude from backups and you can exclude drives you can exclude files you can exclude um, uh, whole folders whole drives it doesn't really really matter and so like for me i have a lot of archive drives hooked up to my mac and i exclude almost all of those because i back those up in other ways to other locations and things like that so uh, what you will likely need to do is sort of divide and conquer, excluding some drives from your 8-terabyte time machine drive, your existing one, and then doing the opposite for the 6-terabyte drive. And I would say what I would recommend is, since you have the 2-terabyte two, two SSDs, the one built into your MacBook Air and the external one, I would probably take both of those and back those up to your new 6-terabyte time machine backup and then just exclude those on the eight terabyte backup that you currently have and then do vice versa on the eight terabyte so let the eight terabyte uh, time machine backup back up the eight terabyte external data drive uh, because you still have 3.2 terabytes of free space you set on that uh, just be careful with that one because you are going to reach the limit pretty quickly so you might be needing to replace that sometime sometime soon as well um, but again this is pretty easy to do hopefully i've explained that well enough and you'll be able to set that up and sort of get things back up and running but yeah i think it's a little bit confusing it'd be nice if you could just you know tack on another drive and and time machine was able to kind of merge that together and just make this big conti contiguous uh time machine backup from multiple drives but no it just really does not does not work like that it's not designed to uh to do that so hopefully that explains things and helps you out all right the last thing that i need to talk to you about and i guess we're going to kind of get serious we've got some some changes some big big changes coming up and happening here on the maccast and this is going to be i think a little bit difficult for me to talk about it might be a little bit difficult for you to hear because this is a, a really big change and i think anybody who's been listening to the podcast for a long time and has noticed recently that the schedule has become a little bit sporadic, uh, more infrequent, uh, and probably have been wondering what's going on. I've tried to kind of explain as much as possible without really, I hadn't made any decisions, I guess, related to this. And a lot of this comes down to just the current environment, what's happening in my life, and just things that I've been struggling with emotionally and mentally when it comes to this show, this community, and the podcast. And I guess the best way to do this is probably just pull the Band-Aid off. I'm announcing that I am going to be ending the MacCast uh, as you know it. Um, I'm planning the last MacCast episode to be December 13th, 2023. That's actually going to be 19 
years to the day that I launched the first show. So it actually is a, a significant date. Um, but yeah, this is really hard for me to tell you and the community. Um, but the reasons for this are a lot of the same reasons why I recently uprooted my family and moved from California here to South Dakota. I'm looking to make changes in my life to focus more on my family, on my community, and just other things that I want to do. I have been doing the MacCast for 19 years. I absolutely love it. I love this community. Uh, I'd love to be continuing to do it for, for forever, but the reality is, is that it takes a lot of time and effort. I've talked about this occasionally. I don't think people, a lot of people know that, you know, it's a lot of research. It's a lot of time invested and I do this all myself. So I am the host, the producer, the promoter that, you know, I have all of the hats that I have to wear. And most of that came out of necessity because I was one of the first to do this and there was no buddy to partner with. There was no no other people. So I've always done a solo podcast and everything sort of falls on me to um, put this show together. So sorry if this is a little rough. I'm just speaking off the cuff. I don't have a lot of notes around this. This is just all stuff that's been swirling around in my head for a long, long time. And the thing is, is I don't want to completely and what I've been struggling with emotionally is I don't, I don't want to completely give this up. I love it. I love this community. I love you. Um, I appreciate the 19 years of dedication and support that you have given me. And I, I want to honor that. And I, I want to still be involved with this community. It's just, I'm to the point where I've come to the realization it's not at this level. I can't, this is not sustainable for me for what I want to do for my family, for the future. Um, it's just been a lot. And again, I'm trying to simplify, um, you know, a few years back, I had to go back to a full-time day job. So for 19 years, more or less, I've been working three jobs to support my family and with this move, I'm now in a place where that's not required anymore. I don't have to do all of those things. And um, so ultimately, it's time for a change. And luckily for me, and I hope for you, this um, the community kind of came to my rescue in this little bit of dilemma. So for years and years and years, I've done a lot of things with uh, Dave Hamilton, uh, both at the Mac Observer and with Mac Geek Gab and with some other endeavors. We've been friends for about as long as I've been doing this. I think I probably met him in my second or third year of podcasting. I'd have to go back and and remember. Um, but we've been working together and he's been a great confidant. And, you know, I kind of took this struggle to him and he came up with a great idea because if you know Mac Geek Gab, they recently had some changes of their own. And um, there is an opportunity for me to join that show. So that's what I am going to be doing. I'm going to be moving over to Mac Geek Gab. I'm going to be a co-host. So I'm going to be, be still a part of this community. That show is very much uh, to me 
in the same vein as the MacCast. So I'm not really changing sort of what I do other than it's not going to fall everything on me to do all aspects of the show. I'm going to have help. It's going to be easier to just show up and talk about this stuff with the community. I know a number of you are already part of that community. If you're not, please subscribe to Mac Geek Gab. If you're not already, that way you can continue to get my take on the latest happenings and goings-ons in the Apple and Mac community. Um, I am incredibly grateful and thankful to Dave for offering up the opportunity because again, I, I don't, I don't want to just abandon this. I love this. I absolutely do love this. It's just, I'm looking toward the future. <laughs> I'm not getting any younger. If you've met me, you know, I'm looking for retirement at some point. And, um, again, just trying to simplify and get to a place where, I can be happy again with with doing this. And I think this is going to be the path forward. And I understand that maybe many of you are going to be disappointed or upset. But, you know, again, I think this is just, it's it's time. And uh, I'm going to be moving on. And I, I hope, I just hope you understand. Um, but I think this is going to be the best thing for me moving forward and give me a great opportunity. So sorry if I've been rambling on. I wanted to get this out. It's been something that's just going to be a weight off my shoulders right now. It's something that, you know, I have a lot of emotions about um, and I'll be processing those. But, uh, you know, again, I cannot thank you enough for all your support and dedication over the years. And I look forward to more of that just in a different place. So please subscribe over there if you want to you want to keep going with me. I understand if you you know you you decide it's your time to move on as well. I'm sure some of you are going to go that route. Also, but I do hope you join me over at uh, MacGeekGab, macgeekgab.com and macgeekgab on all your favorite podcast apps. So check it out there. And like I said, we still have a, a month of shows here going on the MacCast. If you're a Patreon supporter and want, wonder what's going on there, I'm going to be pausing that. So, you you know, that will be ending and sunsetting as well. I plan to put out a post over there in the next couple of days. So look for that, just explaining things. And yeah, thank you for your support. But with that, that is going to do it for the show for this week. As always, I want to thank my MacCast supporters. Bandwidth for the MacCast is provided by Cashfly. You can find them at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com. And all advertising on the MacCast is handled by Backbeat Media. They are at BackbeatMedia.com. As always, I'm sure you're going to have some questions about what we just talked about, along with other questions. If you have a question, a comment, something you'd like to hear covered on a future episode of the MacCast, you can send your emails and audio comments to maccast at gmail.com. You're welcome to call in on the listener hotline. That phone number is 281-622-4269, 281-MAC-IM9. If you want to find me on social media, you can follow me on X or Twitter, whatever we're calling it these days, twitter.com slash MacCast. You can also check out the MacCast Facebook page over at facebook.com slash the MacCast or find me on Instagram, just MacCast on Instagram. But with that, that is going to do it for now. Until next time, I will talk to you all again real soon. Mm-hmm.